want to do the show? Yeah, let's do the show. Let's do the show. Hey guys, welcome back to uh, Pawns, a podcast for the Everyman Gamer. That's Corey. The bearded Viking over there is Matt. You got a beard? No, not like yours. All right. I mean, <laughs> none of them are like mine. No, not at all. <laughs> now people are going to think I got something something outlandish. You, you are humble when you don't tell people that you uh, play in that ZZ Top cover band. <laughs> All right, we're going to cover what we talked about in the last episode briefly. Yeah, we're going to do a real quick recap. Yeah, we're going to discuss the state of our current hobbies. Uh, and we're going to cover a couple quick topics as well. Do a quick review of the new Dungeon and Dragons module coming out in May, Ghosts of the Salt Marsh. Are we going to re- wait, are we reviewing it? Do you have it? No, or we're we, just going to talk me. about it. It's a preview. Yeah, we're, we're going to preview talk it. about it. Sorry, we just lost like like we gained like two followers when we said that. Yeah, review. And we just lost them. And yeah. then, then we told them the truth and they left, yeah. Yeah, we but, do have it pre-ordered to uh, get it as soon as it comes on D&D Beyond, so... Right. You know, I know I'm going to, like, call out sick the day it comes out to read it front <laughs> to back. And, and, you know, however you read it on a website. Yes. All right, last episode, uh, we introduced our show, ourselves. Uh, we talked about the show. But did we talk about why we call this show Pawns? Uh, I think we did, but I'm not sure we, we uh, really tied it right into that why we were calling it Pawns, we talked about the general vision of the show. And the reason we went with the name Pawns is because of us being the Everyman Gamer podcast. Yeah, if podcasting was on on a chessboard, we would be the Pawns. We would be the frontline guys sent out to die, yeah. That's right. Uh, We talked about our current hobbies. Corey's got his 40k addiction. I've got some D&D going when it actually goes. And we talked about a few upcoming show ideas None of which we're going to talk about in this episode. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was amazing how well that worked out. Yeah, that's okay. All right, Corey, how's your uh, 40K stuff going coming along? Currently, I'm working on a Imperial Knight Castellan. That's the uh, the big boy knight that Games Workshop has released. Uh, they released that a while back, a uh, year ago maybe now. Um, that's their big one. All right, so this is for, it's not for 40K, The I, I call it the army game, like, like the main game. This is for something else. No, no, no. This is definitely for the tabletop. Oh yeah, war game. Yep. This okay. is not a like uh, a lot of people hear Titans and they think the big uh, warlord or the Imperator models. And that's they, exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. That, that like scaled down forty k. What is that like fifteen millimeter? Is that is that what it is? I don't know if it's fifteen millimeter. I'm not hundred percent on the sizes, but that's the uh, Adeptus Titanicus. That the uh, the entry fee is a three hundred dollar box set. Um, and that is, that is not going to happen. No. When, when I saw that at the store, when I saw a guy painting some of those models at the store, he did not touch on this, on the fact that it was $300 just, just, just to buy the, the entry level box. Yeah. Uh, no, these are Imperial Knights, which is a faction within 40 K. My giant robots are just as big as his giant robots. Right. But my giant robots don't cost as much as his do. Um. <laughs> so wait, 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 the Imperial Knight Titan is cheaper point-wise, you're saying? Well, points is a whole other argument. Uh, huh. I don't even know where to begin with Adeptus Titanicus. The 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 holy, we they focus on the Warhammer 30,000 storyline with the, the Horus Heresy and okay. the, the various Titan houses fighting each other. I... I have so little interest in that, both from a co- the viewpoint of cost and from the the standpoint of the story and the lore and the game itself that I have not even looked at the rule set for it. It takes place during the Horus Heresy. Huh? 
Yeah, it is not set in 40,000, mm-hmm. the year 40,000 AD. It is set in the year 30,000 AD. I didn't know that either. I, I think that's kind of interesting, though. I think, uh, you know, 40K has a really good story behind it. Uh, and it's kind of cool that they do bring out games that play on that history. Absolutely. it's yeah, uh, that's cool. You're looking now at approaching 40 years worth of lore development. Some of it kind of cheesy. A lot of it is kind of cheesy. Yeah. But a lot of it's inspired. It's it's a very, I'm not sure unique is the right word, but when you cobble together everything, it's incredibly robust setting. And I think uh, your point's right. Yeah. Uh, this night in particular is a Christmas present from the wife. I've got a, I've built my own house, uh, own paint scheme, got a real weathered, rusty look to it. I'll, I'll put some pictures up here in the next little bit. I think I've seen it, haven't I? You showed I think it to you, me once. Yeah. I, I think you've seen some pictures of the other nights I've built for this. Okay. House a shield is what I call it. The real thing I'm excited about is I'm doing a little bit of freehand this time around. I don't do a ton of freehand. I consider myself a slightly above average painter. But what I've done is I've taken the the shoulder pads of the models and I've painted on a what appears to be like a like a scroll from like a like imagine what you'd have a wizard read uh, his spells from in Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Yeah. Um, and I painted this scroll, and I'm gonna write in the words from uh, Yeats's "The Second Coming." Yeats, excuse me, that's how you pronounce it. I think Yeats, W. B. Yeats, his uh, "The Second Coming." This fantastic poem. I'm gonna have it translated into Latin. I'm gonna write it out on these pads. Oh, it's, cool. it's not like you're gonna get the entire. I think it's like 50 lines, but just enough of it for the effect. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing with this one. Hopefully, I'll have it done by about the end of next week. Is my goal. Very cool. So, what else you got coming down the pipe? Tournament. Oh, no tournament work whatsoever. I have <laughs> shelved my Space Marines. I mm-hmm. am putting them away. Going to focus on my Dark Eldar. I actually sat down and did like a uh, total list of everything I have for Dark Eldar. I found out I only have about 800 points worth of models and only about 400 points worth of those are painted. So I'm okay. uh, shelving my Imperial stuff once the Night Titan's done and I'm moving on to Dark Eldar and I'm not doing any tournaments so I hit the 2,000 point mark. And does that have to be 2,000 points painted? That's what I'm aiming for. I like to have all my stuff painted. Good. I'm not some elitist, but I do <laughs> try to hold myself to a higher standard. Yeah, maybe I like at least a primed. Uh, yeah. Yeah, at least primed. Ellie's brand. Okay. This is me shaking my head with disapproval. Too <laughs> All right. So it's uh, March 18th and we're shooting for like a bi-monthly recording, at least recording the podcast so far. What do you want to have done by the next podcast? I'm just going to focus on my Dark Eldar. Okay. Obviously, I just got done saying that. I've got a couple uh, different models put together, the Dark Eldar Venom and the Dark Eldar Ravager. Mm-hmm. The Venom is like their little transport, five guys tons of guns on it a lot of people hate it it's uh if you do any kind of reading up on the dark eldar they'll tell you the best list if you want to lose all your friends is to take a list with a ton of venoms in them uh they're they're real hard to hit they're surprisingly tanky and that's what i'm going to work on is is my venom i've got another one in a box and i've got a ravager that i'm going to get painted up i've got some infantry choices i'm going to finish uh some witches and lilith hellespricks i'm going to get set up and that's my goal for have most of that painted by the time our next recording session rolls around it's pretty ambitious because you said you're only at about 400 points so you got 1600 to go yeah all right that um, will those, those will not, yeah those will not take me up to the 2000 points that is yeah that'll take me up towards almost the rest of the 400 points i currently have on my shelf so you got 400 points in your army so far and you're looking to go to 2000 uh what uh percentage of your 
army or 2,000 points is going to be infantry versus like vehicles? Oh, that's a solid question. The Dark Eldar have some really solid infantry choices. They don't mm-hmm. have a ton of vehicle choices. Uh, what they do have is either it's it's personnel transport options like the Venom I mentioned earlier or a yeah. Raider. And I'm going to have a lot of Venoms. That's my intent. And then they have what they call their tank quote-unquote tank. Uh, the Dark mm-hmm. Elder don't really have any true army armor in the sense that we think of it. They've got these giant floating anti-grav vehicles that have a ton of guns put on them. And huh. uh, it's kind of considered currently uh, uh, the baseline for most armies. For most, most Dark Eldar armies is the having three of these vehicles called Ravagers. And mm-hmm. I fully intend on getting the three that are the baseline. They're super affordable point-wise, super strong. You can do a couple different uh, tactics and, uh, excuse me, stratagem tricks with them. Mm-hmm. And that's that's going to be the pretty much the end of my the actual vehicles for this army is the three ravagers and a handful more venoms and maybe a raider here or there once i've got the the list to where i really want it but that's long term even beyond what i'm already needing to pick up just in terms of two more ravagers and a couple more venoms got it so when you do these vehicles do they have like different weapon options I being the that I am the power gamer I am, I yeah. tend to go with the most cost effective for points options out there mm-hmm. with the Ravagers. That's what they call the I think it's the disintegrator cannon. I'd have to pull out a list to look at it real quick. Mm-hmm. That's that's what my Ravagers are gonna be running, but I'm also the style of player that magnetizes everything. I was just gonna ask about yeah. that. That's what I was leading into. Yeah. I okay. I, if it's got a weapon option on it, I will get around to eventually buying the magnets and figuring out how to make it so I can swap them out easily for all my vehicles. When I bought my towel for Kill Team, I set out. I have the stuff to magnetize them. The infantry. I acted against it because it's the first time I ever put together the models. Although I did like one or two, and I really like the flexibility that affords. Yeah, especially because I'm trying to get the most bang for my buck out of the physical models. Yep. But then, like in hindsight, I mean, we can talk about it uh later on but when it comes to tau you know i really found it's the the weapon options that they have no matter like what the situation is usually just the one choice is the most viable the pulse rifles versus like the shotgun kind of stuff so i mean there's really not much of a point to magnetizing those guys but with infantry it's definitely uh an issue of picking your battles uh the one thing i would encourage you to think of is long term we don't know mm-hmm. what games workshop's going to do with 8th edition 40k we're not sure what they're going to do with kill team i kind of have the feeling that this edition of the 40k rules is going to have a longer lifespan than the others have mm-hmm. uh, games workshop is definitely pushing towards a we're going to update rules as we see fit as we need to yeah but there it's it's inevitable like it is with all publishers there will be an addition change there will be a rule update and what is golden now will not be golden in the future and having the ability to change easily will definitely be an investment worth your time later on yeah you're not wrong it's just it's not the weapon itself or the breachers it's uh you know if you're getting to that kind of range with the tau you've kind of lost the fight already i feel (laughs) so what they what the breachers really needed was some sort of like anti-charge option so like when you're charged 
you have the option to fire off your breacher cannons in like some special way or maybe use them in melee something like that you know like but i i in my very limited experience playing them i just feel like in most situations when the breacher guns become really effective you've kind of already lost the the core of the tau strategy sure i'm not sure how it translates into kill team but i know in 40k the tau have a metric ton of overwatch shenanigans yeah they do yeah Yeah. yeah so i mean i i just i i set out to magnetize my infantry but i I just don't think you know it wasn't worth the time and plus i only needed like five of each i ended up using like the whole kit to make a bunch of breachers and a bunch of fire you know pulse rifle guys and, and didn't really need to magnetize you know i can just swap them out yep so for on my end, D and D is postponed this week. I would be playing in two days, uh, which is kind of a bummer because uh, where I left off last session is actually in the middle of a dungeon. So kind of, uh, I'm kind of worried about. I'm not worried about losing the initiative so much as losing the. It'll be hard to like jump like right back into that like super critical position I left the players in. Uh, however, you know because we play on roll twenty on the table i was able to just sort of save where everything is so i mean it shouldn't be a problem to jog our memories on like where we left off right yeah so so that's 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 good i would say for these two weeks my hobby time has been spent learning how to edit a podcast <laughs> yeah or <laughs> or doing something a lot like editing a podcast sorry for the quality guys <laughs> i i don't even think you need to apologize uh i i've said it to you before and I know Sarah, my wife, feels the same way. Matt has come across not just as a host, being somebody who has a ton of experience with this stuff, but your editing job was was good. I, I was really impressed with it. Well, well, thanks, Corey. But but I did have to go from like opening the program. I did on Adobe Audition, opening it on Adobe for like the first time ever to like delivering a finished podcast. So hopefully, hopefully it'll keep up. Right. And not only yeah. that, you also did your own music, the intro and the outro. I think <laughs> yeah. you did fantastic, yeah. guy. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how the audience feels. Uh, so uh, but that gives me a lot of time to prep for the next session, um, or at least what's going on in the campaign after. Um, and I want to do something a little bit different for the next session, Corey. I, I know you and I talked about it briefly before. Yeah, we uh, we had this conversation a couple, maybe a month ago now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know where I've how I feel about it anymore. But basically, without going into too much detail on the plot of my campaign, because I don't think people really want to listen to that, uh, my players will find themselves in the position of being in a, a boat race on the ocean. And I, and I want to gamify the event. I mean, I could just do a bunch of skill challenges and call it a day. You know, if they pass so many, they win the boat race. Right. They beat the uh, the popular fraternity from Yale. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think I'd like to do a, a, to gamify it a little bit more than that. And I really got inspired by the, the adventure that takes place in Chult, the jungles. That's the... Uh, Tomb of Annihilation. Tomb of, I think that is what it is. I rec- I got the image of the cover in my head of the lich with the green smoke coming out of his hands. Yeah. That's right. So in the adventure book for Tomb of Annihilation, there's rules for when the players are in Chult, there are dragon... Or not dragon. I'm sorry, dinosaur races, like on a track. And uh, they have this little snippet of like, it's possible your players uh, might want to actually partake in the race. And reading that, I'm like, well, no shit. Like (laughs) if you put racing dragons in in a tabletop game, there's no way at least one player is going to be like, fuck the entire campaign, the whole story. We're not moving until I'm riding a dinosaur. Yep, yep. And, you know, all the other players roll their eyes and like, begrudgingly like move things to make it possible for this guy but but whatever yeah everybody gets up goes use the bathroom grab the soda while him and the dm (laughs) hash it out yeah yeah so uh the 
the the Tomb of Annihilation rules have these this really cool like you roll to accumulate points, uh, and then I think the the your race results are dictated by whoever has the most points is kind of how it plays out. And I'd like to do something similar for this boat race. I would also really like to have some standout opponents in the race. I mean, I could do a bunch of like pirates and mercenaries in regular pirate ships and call it a day, but I think that's kind of boring, especially because my players are in an airship. Right. You've got this high this high fantasy thing going on, so yeah, so I'm I'm looking at building like quite a like a rogues gallery of really unique racers because everyone kind of comes to this location to partake in the race because whoever wins gets the favor of this really powerful individual. So that they're racing for a favor. And I, I want to do stuff like one racer is actually like a dragon. I, I have the idea of like a squad of elves riding dolphins instead of a boat. Right. Uh, I think we touched on the dwarven speedboat. You did tell me a little bit about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I want a, a dwarven speedboat that only works when it's moving at like mock speed. <laughs> <laughs> if it's stationary, it sinks. That's that's kind of what I, uh, I like the idea of having like um, what do they call those little toad guys in D and D? Bullywogs. Uh, bullywogs. Yeah. A bunch of bu- yeah, bullywogs on a like giant break apart raft that only works because of like some kind of like fucked up bullywog magic or like sure some type of tribal magic. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, that's uh, what I want to have ready for the players when they get out of the, their current dungeon. Is like they go back to their home base and they're like, oh, it's race time. <laughs> so that's that's the plan. And uh, I also, uh, because we plan Roll20, I, I briefly touched on my players uh, the idea of having like a landing page for the group, uh, given like the status of the campaign, like their current objectives party level, uh, time of the year in the game, like the seasons. But instead of just doing like a blank page, I kind of wanted to have it look like the situation room of their airship. So like maps of Faerun all over the walls and like a pile of gold on their on the table to represent how much money they have in the bank and stuff like that. So You and so, I were discussing that before we started recording tonight. Yeah. You're obviously going to be doing this through digital editing, right? Through a, a digital images as opposed to any kind of like trying to sketch this out yeah i can't draw for shit so (laughs) (laughs) that's right no straight lines for matt not at all so yeah i'm just grabbing images off of the internet and and photoshopping them together uh so you know my other hobby thing is learning a little bit more about how photoshop works because again i I have no idea i have the programs on a complete whim and uh you know i'm kind of learning as i go it sounds incredible matt i i miss the days when i was able to role play with you so more power to you buddy it's it's not as ambitious as uh, someone's sixteen hundred points of Dark Eldar. No, that 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 in, in two weeks that is not going to happen in two weeks. That is <laughs> that is a project that will probably take me to twenty twenty. Yeah. Well, when's the next uh, tournament session? Do you know? Uh, it's going to be. I'm thinking in my head right now. So if that was on March 9th, that will be sometime in the early part of April. Would be the next tournament. I will not make it. Uh, I've got to work next right. weekend. That's a that's a done deal. My hope is to have the the venom and the ravager painted by the next time we record it. Is my real goal. That's you can do that. I believe in you. I could do that. You can do that. All right. So that's uh, that's our hobby corner. We'll call it. Yeah. Now let's move on to the the 
the preview of the uh, the upcoming Ghost of the Salt Marshes module. That's right. I'm super excited for this one, Corey. I couldn't tell you exactly why. I think it, <laughs> I think it's because I, I read the preview at the same time I was like putting together all this like boat race stuff, like like the ideas of it in my head. Yeah. And I understand the Ghost of Salt Marsh is all about ships and it's about ghosts. <laughs> And it's about those shark guys. This I can never pronounce the name right. So I'm, Sahugan. Sahugan. We're gonna go with that as canon from here forward. That is actually. How we say gonna, it. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up on D and D Beyond first of all because they got the, the great pronunciation guide. Oh, that's useful. Yeah that that is partially what this module is gonna be about. It's uh it's the new one coming out by Wizards, of course. It follows in the style that they've uh, they developed since they started releasing the fifth edition modules. In that this there's this entire book they sell you, and this book doesn't just provide uh, adventures like the old adventure modules we used to buy back in first, second, and third edition. Uh, it's actually an entire campaign. It's it's supposed to take characters from levels one all the way up to twelve, according to Watsi. It also the RPG team over at Watsi was real super happy with the way. The, the adventures from the yawning portal were received by the community i love that book uh I, I absolutely love it i have heard nothing but good things about it i have a copy of it and i have not cracked it open at all uh i'm a terrible person but <laughs> but what i get from it is a ton of love because it's uh the adventures follow this episodic style mm-hmm. as opposed to the uh the continuous storyline that a lot of the earlier modules fifth edition had came out uh, so and and Ghost of Saltmarsh is doing the same thing, right? Exactly. That, that, that's yeah. their intent is you can either follow it as an entire campaign from level one all the way up to 12, or the creative DM can grab this or that adventure from it and stuff it in his campaign and run with it. I already know how I'm going to use it. All right. Are you ready for uh, pronunciation? Yeah, let's hit me with that pronunciation. What's your What's your guess? I get, I'm thinking in my head here, uh, Sahugan is how I would say it. Sahu- uh, okay, Sahugan. I would say... If I was in an empty room and not afraid that anyone was going to make fun of me, <laughs> I would pronounce it Sahuagen. And I know that's that's way off. I'm looking at the word. I'm way off. Here we, here right, here Wisconsin we go. is killing everybody listening right now. Yeah. Sahuagen. 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 You're close. Sahuagen. You're close. I was yeah. close. Yeah. All right. You're closer right. than I was. You added like an extra two syllables in there, but. <laughs> I found them. <laughs> he found them in the ocean. Yeah. So, I mean, that's exciting to me because, uh, I mean, on a personal level, because my uh, campaign, the early stages, the, uh, how do you pronounce it again? <laughs> I don't even remember. Uh, <laughs> still over time. The torts. <laughs> Put the bulls the in the again. torts. So an early part of my uh, campaign, the Sahuagin were responsible for uh, like like bad stuff happening in a village that the that the adventurers got to um, got to rescue. Oh yeah! So it's really cool to see, and I've never heard of the, those monsters, the Sahuagin, before. You, um, I was like, you actually fought them in my campaign back in Wisconsin. I don't remember. They were the like you guys found them in the cave, and they asked you to go kill some priests, and you guys got beat up, and you went back to them, and they all attacked you because you were all bloody. I don't remember. Uh, did we ever use the word Sahuagin? I did, but I don't think you guys did. Uh, it didn't sink in. Was I playing the monk? Yes. That was the monk <laughs> was... with the boots of speed. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember my monk like fell in love with the person who had the boots of speed because she was so fast. Yep. And he, was, he was all about it. Yeah. Um, and I, re- I remember 
I remember getting beaten up by the guy. I was like, I was so confused because like, aren't aren't these the guys who like gave us the mission? And now they're beating us. I remember, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember ever saying the word Sahu again. Yep, that, they were Sahu again. Sahu again. Okay, okay. Well, uh, I mean, regardless, um, there's some of my favorite antagonists in D and I love everything about them. They are uh, are a fantastic example of how creative the early developers were with the. Uh, with the monsters mm-hmm. and all that, it's uh, they're yeah. an incredibly unique and exotic uh, villain to have in a campaign. So yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to having an excuse to bring them back into my campaign right. because they've kind of fallen off the radar. So, so that's exciting. Yeah. So, uh, and obviously, you know, with my players in an airship, the um, naval and ship rules are something I'm I'm very, uh, I'm in I'm in desperate need for. Right. So. Yeah, that is something else. Watsy is going to be including is uh, they're going to be branching out into naval combat and ship to ship kind of combat. So that's a- yeah, they have a they have an unearthed arcana that covers those rules. I'm just excited to see something finalized. Sure. Yeah. So uh, if we didn't say it already, Corey and I we pre-ordered the book already. We say so, we, you pre-ordered the book, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's not important. Um, <laughs> so so uh, we're both uh, going to jump on this thing as soon as it comes out. Yep. But So speaking of what's inside of it, uh, Corey, you already briefly touched on it. Seven different adventures. Yep. I understand that a couple of them are throwbacks to first edition. Yeah, The uh, there's three of the seven adventures are a... This is using Watsi's own words here, a faithful recreation of the U series from first edition. The 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 U series was a really unique series in the way it was designed. It was designed outside of TSR's central offices in Lake Geneva. And I feel like that really allowed the developers when they were first putting these adventures together to approach it from a real unique angle that maybe if Gygax had had a more direct hand in it, that could have possibly gone to a more of a familiar dungeon crawl style adventure. So when these three old school adventures, which by the way, I love that you can find these on like drive through RPG and stuff now. Yep. Um, I, I just, I, I buy them and I, and I read them and I, and I love what, and I love what I read, but I just have the hardest time imagining how to put them in a modern D and D game. So I'm ex- kind of excited to read the, this ghost of salt marsh and see how they would do it. Yeah. But so anyway, the first three showed up uh, at your doorstep from Dungeon Magazine. Is that correct? Well, no, the uh, the first three from the U series and the other four modules, the other four adventures in this book are going to be from the Dungeon Magazine. Yeah, so it's oh okay. Old, those are also tossbacks to an earlier day and age, before our drive through RPG and uh, our Dungeon Master Guild was able to bring user content out to the rest of the community. Dungeon Magazine was a lot like Dragon Magazine, but instead of just being random RPG stuff you could add to your game, Dungeon was actually like modules they'd publish in a magazine and then sell to you. I loved Dungeon when I was growing up. That was some of my fondest memories of Dungeons and Dragons was I could sit there and read a Dungeon Magazine cover to cover in an afternoon, and it was just so many good ideas such a incredible undersung resource it was it, dungeon was the the most important periodical tsr and then later watsy put out in my opinion wizards needs to if they would do like a digital dungeon subscription or something like that i know i know they do have like a an e-magazine but if they came out with something that was specifically like a monthly dungeon master 
digest or whatever sign me up i I would definitely subscribe to something like that i i I think there is room in the world for dm resources i would argue with you i don't think we need a dungeon magazine proper anymore uh the dungeon master guild is a fantastic source of user-created modules that are just some of them are brilliant some of them are comedy but they're all all of them are are it's a great resource to go and use and take inspiration from all right that's fine. I mean, you're wrong. We, we do definitely need this guy. <laughs> All right. So May 21st, this uh, book drops. Uh, Corey, what are we going to do with it? Well, you and I had talked briefly. I think we discussed it over the course of an afternoon while we were both at work. We talked about running it, playing it. So that's something I'm really looking forward to. Everybody knows my schedule is a, a crapshoot, but I can at least guarantee two weekends out of every three. So I don't see why we can't at least schedule a three or a four hour session once a week, once every other week around my work schedule and play it out. I don't know who's going to DM. I don't know who's going to play with us. I kind of have Sarah maybe interested in joining us, but if nothing else, we'll talk later about reaching out to some people uh, via social media and setting up a small table for it. What if I got Laura to, to play? I would love to have one of us dm and then our wives and the other one of us play i don't know which side of the table i'd rather be on. i don't I mean, they both sound kind of miserable yeah yeah I, I i don't either but but you know the rule it's whoever's got the weirdest schedule has to dm i am so yeah so that means i'll be dming but that's okay yeah. because i love i've i played the first module that was the the sinister secrets i played that that was my second game of dungeon dragons i ever played and I've actually created adventures in my campaign based off of that first module. Matt, you played in one of them. I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, I'm not. That 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 lighthouse <laughs> scenario I had where a bunch of you guys. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. That was from this book? That was based off of Sinister Secrets, yeah. Okay, very you're, cool. You're going to recognize it the moment we start playing. You're going to recognize the general plot hooks and everything. You overestimate my ability to comprehend stories. I, <laughs> I, I played barbarians for a reason. <laughs> All right, very exciting stuff. Uh, the more I read about or look up this this book, the more excited I get. I really can't wait for for May to get here. It's uh, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm I have not found myself overly excited about a ton of the stuff Watts he's been putting out, but this one is it hit me right in the nostalgia. I am all in. Yeah. yeah. You know what else? I, I also want to touch on this before we can move on from this book. One of the things that gets me really excited is how it's not very murder hobo focused. Yep. Um, it seems more social kind of kind of a game yeah. and more like plot intensive. And I think that's something I can really sink my teeth into because one of the hardest things I grapple with with old school D&D is how murder hobo focused it is <laughs> I, right i'm with you you can't get away from it yeah i'm with you 100 there's a reason that's become a meme in our our era is because that was the reality of it back yeah. this is what i was trying to allude to earlier i don't know if i did a good job of explaining myself the that core environment that produced those murder hobo modules back at the dawn of first edition came out of Lake Geneva. These U, yep. This U-series came out of London. And the design elements they included in those U-series modules are stuff we'd recognize today. It's, it's a little bit open world. It's a lot less about killing players, and it's more about challenging and exploration, allowing the players to be challenged and to explore. It's not the old save-and-die mechanics. And it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of backstory-driven and more more about chasing whatever objectives the player decides important in that moment as opposed to 
get to the end of the dungeon, kill the boss, take the loot. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I yeah. have like cold chills thinking about old school gamers showing up to their table with like a stack of characters because you know, the dungeon's going to be so lethal. You're going to go through them all trying to get to the finish line. Yep. Again, there's no wrong way to play D&D as long as everybody's having fun. It's just definitely not my cup of tea. I, I think we've come a terrific distance from the where the hobby began to where we are now. And I think 5th Edition does a fine job of being a shared storytelling experience. And I, I think that's why I'd rather play anyway. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, May 21st. May 21st. I know I've said it like 40 times yep. already. But you can pick- put it in your calendars. May 21st. May 22nd, we're putting out an episode about... Salt Marsh. <laughs> That's probably not true. I, I would not. I don't bet on the twenty second, but shortly thereafter, yes. Uh, no, it would. It would. Um, it's not on our calendar. It wouldn't work out unless we do like a special episode. We might be able to squeeze one in. Yeah, we might be able to. Uh, uh, you're gonna be able to pick this thing ahead. up anywhere you normally would get a module from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local store. I'm seeing it on Amazon right now, as of the. 18th of march right around the 30 dollar mark so keep your eyes open if cost is an issue there's always options out there that's right uh where do you stand on on the like physical versus digital i have moved across country four times in my life i (laughs) have way too many warhammer module or models to have Mm -hmm. any more physical things i have to move i am i'm digital i'm digital all the way baby yeah i'm also digital all the way and uh it's a similar position i just don't have the physical space for all this stuff and plus i really i can't i'm so thrilled to show up at at a table with a a tablet and have my entire library all my DD resources with me I would much rather save my limited space for the rare gems you might stumble across at like a convention. Uh, I've got the full published library from the EverQuest RPG that Swords and Sorcery Studios released back as third edition got popular. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what I save my physical space for is the gems. Yeah. All right. That is Ghosts of the Saltmarsh, May 21. Yeah, that's our preview. All right, guys. So let's do the closeout. All right. You want to take the lead? Yeah. Uh, our closeout where we don't have any notes other than the words closed hyphen <laughs> out. Uh, you can tell where I, I start. Uh, I lost uh, interest in taking notes for the show. Yeah, because I, I filled out two pages of research about the U series, and Matt's thing is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight lines. <laughs> <laughs> Um, close out. So we're going to be wrapping up here. We're really looking forward to Ghost of Salt Marsh. So uh, that obviously can't be a surprise to anybody. Matt, what are you thinking uh, for our next episodes? Any ideas? I think we need to circle back to the first episode and touch on some of those topics that we mentioned. Yep. Unless something topical comes up again, like Ghost and the Salt Marsh did. Sure. But I can't think of anything right now. So I think we'll, we'll probably do... You know, I, I would like to spend a session... A session. I'd like to spend an episode talking about setting up a tabletop group or um, like a wargaming group, um, a board game group, whatever. Just uh, a way that at least it worked for me. So I'll share my experiences setting, finding a group that it might also work for you. Because um, I'm... Two for two on, on setting up a group using this method. No, I think that I think that is something we definitely need to uh, to to do a episode on. Absolutely, I'm real interested in getting my teeth sunk into the uh, the vampire stuff. Okay. Did you get that? Did I, you get that? I did. As as soon as you paused, <laughs> I'm like, wait, there's a pun here. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, because it's back to a serious topic. I I'm going to start the research on that 
probably next week and it might not be the next episode but within one or two after that we are going to do our overview of white wolves chechnya event i think that's what we'll probably end up calling it too we want to be more than just warhammer and dungeon dragons and i really want to hit the non warhammer non dungeon dragons topics with something heavy like that to show our chops very cool that's something i, I would love to talk about too because no matter how much i can go on and on about dnd um my heart will always belong to old school white wolf stuff yeah, yeah that's what really got me into the hobby so um I'd be really excited to talk, you know, spend an episode talking about why I love everything that White Wolf's ever done. Yeah. The, except for the Chechnya thing. Except for this <laughs> terrible handling of social awareness. Yeah. Such such a fumble. All right. There it is. Yeah. We still have not developed a ton of social media yet. That's my fault, guys. I have not made enough time for it. Uh, we've got the Gmail account if anybody wants to contact us. It is pawnstheshow at gmail.com. You can contact us with critiques, commentary, criticisms. Try to keep it PG-13. My my feelings are rather delicate. Uh, <laughs> we're also looking for uh, any suggestions for other topics you guys might like to hear us cover as well. Or if you'd even like to come on the show and talk with us. Yeah, we could have it. Oh, we could open it up to that. Yeah. We could have an open seat once in a while, absolutely. Yeah, it's just a, a FaceTime or a Hangout. So, you know, if you're ready to do that, you're ready to participate in the show. Yep. All right, everybody. Until next time. Have a good night, everybody.